there there's no probably there's no ball shaped food superior to the meatball. Maybe the falafel. Meatball wise, Rabi came across something weird. It's from Erbil in in Iraq, uh, which is the fourth largest city, and it's I think the Erbil Intercontinental Hotel. Uh, so they have a buffet and this card that describes the meal as uh, it's basically meatball in Arabic, the transliteration. Uh, and then they translated it back to English and they call it Paul is dead. <laughs> Paul is dead. Paul is dead, yes. How did that happen? Uh, actually, it's really stupid, but it's easy to understand uh, the mistake, which is that the thing with the Arabic language is that uh, it doesn't always have vowels. So it could be pronounced as meatball. It could be pronounced as how they pronounce it, which is mayit ball. Okay. Uh, and then, so that's how it comes out, as mayit means he is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and and we don't in Arabic we don't have a p so it's usually if translated into b so it became mayit ball which means ball is dead. There is another trans- translation you could do it also which is that a uh, urine is dead. Okay, but they decided ball is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so it was, it was either the meatball would have been described as either Paul is dead or urine is dead. Is dead, yes. Oh, neither one is very appetizing. One is much no, worse. No, so that's why I think they they looked at it and go, no, it's only false. <laughs> it's it's an yeah. amazing it's an amazing coincidence that you know it became Paul is dead, which is this you know. Of course, yeah. Of course, I grew up with as a Beatles fan, so it, it's an amazing thing to actually see it all over again and and just to describe meatball. Well, you, um, yeah, it makes you wonder where those meat what that meat was. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not Paul. <laughs> I don't want to eat him. No, he's a vegetarian. Uh, <laughs> it's not very flavorful meat. I'm sure. I'm sure. And also, I I I've seen the same in China, where they, you know, I saw a a, a Chinese restaurant that's called, uh, you know, exploding stomachs. That <laughs> <laughs> was just too funny. But then I don't know what the original is. I wonder if exploding stomachs was all you can eat. I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to find out. I didn't walk in. <laughs> well, Rabi, thank you so much for talking to us about this. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Rabi Alamadine's newest novel is An Unnecessary Woman. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, how to become a better swimmer by learning the lessons of the manatee or sea cow. But first, President George H.W. Bush celebrated his 90th birthday last week by uh, jumping out of a plane, uh, skydiving. He's 90 years old. And he jumped out of a plane. So we were wondering, do the Secret Service agents have to jump when the president jumps? Mike Elliott is a member of the U.S. Army's parachute team, otherwise known as the Golden Knights. And, and he was there on this jump. So, Mike, do, do the Secret Service agents have to jump out of the plane along with the president? No, no. The agents are not uh, uh, qualified for the jump portion. Um, we did have an agent on, the, on board the aircraft. And, you know, there's the process of uh, security checks because there's still a protocol with D.C. But they're there to kind of overwatch and oversee the mission. So uh, you did the jump with the president, right? That is correct. The 90th birthday was the third time that I have taken 
our former president on a tandem skydive. Now, just so I understand, when you say tandem, is is the the former president strapped to you when you jump out of the plane? That is absolutely correct. <laughs> Wait, so how, that must be a pretty intense screening process uh, when they're choosing the guy that they're going to strap to the president. Well, I would say so. You don't have a lot of time with, with your tandem passenger. So relationships are important because you're strapping someone to you and you're throwing them out of an airplane from, you know, two miles above Earth. So yeah. the better the relationship, the better the communication, the, you know, the more comfortable that passenger is going to be. Have you ever been on a tandem with somebody and they, they, they had bad body odor and it was made for a bad jump? Uh I can't say that I've I've had anyone with bad body odor. Um, of, of course, there are times when when someone is in the aircraft and they're extremely nervous, um, <laughs> which 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 causes the gastric uh, acids in the stomach to to kind of turn some, yeah. and the bad breath. And it's just a one of those signs that you know that person is really nervous. But then you know you, you you're in the drop zone in the middle of summer and and people are nervous and sweating of course just a typical thing but never a bad body odor no well it's such an it's an intimate you, it's very you're very close and it's a scary moment and it's very unusual i think for people to be in such close quarters with each other going through what for that other person is probably a terrifying thing it is a very close uh moment because you know, once you get in that aircraft and you get that person hooked up, I mean, they're hooked up extremely tight. But I think that also bridges over to them being more secure and being more comfortable because now they can feel that that person is attached to them and, and close to them. Um, and it helps to kind of mitigate some of the nervousness. You know, I sometimes I'll have a, a work anxiety dream where, you know, maybe I'm missing a deadline or I'm supposed to have got something in and, and haven't got it in. Do you have work nightmares when, you're, when your job is jumping out of planes? I think if you ask, if you was to ask any parachute guy, parachutist, um, if they've ever had those dreams, they would probably say yes. I mean, I, I am totally, totally afraid of hikes, stationary hikes. You what? Getting me on a ladder on top of a building <laughs> scares the shit out of me. Really? Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely does. You know, but at uh, two and a half miles up, you have no, no concept of, of the depth that you are. Um, the aircraft is moving 105 to 110 miles per hour across the ground. So there's no concept of, of high, how high you are. So it's a whole different um, um, level of, of height. If, I get in, if I'm in a room that's, that's more than eight stories up, I don't even go look out the window because it scares me. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. Wait, so when you go up into a tall building, do you bring a parachute with you just in case? I know, but sometimes I wish I I would have one available. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Absolutely. Who has not admired the, the majesty, the grace of the manatee? It's like a giant, it's like a lump of mashed potatoes floating in the water. David Mizajewski is a naturalist for the National Wildlife Federation. He's online with us now. David, can you tell us 
uh, how manatees swim? Well, so they don't have to move super fast, but they do need to sort of stay buoyant in the water. And they've got a couple of interesting adaptations that let them do that. First is their lungs. They have these, you know, these interesting lungs that are actually kind of, um, you know, sort of attached to back by their vertebra. And that allows them when they, um, you know, take air in, they to, to sort of stay horizontal in the water. However, there's another way that they can manage their buoyancy, and that is by releasing gases that are produced. And the other word for that is flatulence. And when manatees do that, it's definitely very obvious. You will not mistake what is going on when you hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, let's stop here for a second and listen to some tape of a manatee farting. As as someone who's a big fan of manatees, um, do you ever you know, the sea cow? Do you ever call cows land manatees? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever heard that one. You could try to get that started. I don't know if it'll stick though. I think if we all team up, we might be able to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for your time, David. Thanks for having me. So the tape we heard uh, a minute ago of the manatee farting, it, it's it's pretty funny. It's funny listening to that. Any anytime anybody farts, it's pretty funny. But you know, I think like. Manatees can't speak, and so it's possible that what was happening there is just it, just as humiliating for the manatee as it might have been for for a human. They just they can't say excuse me. There's no one else they can blame when they're the ones in the water and the bubbles are coming from them. Let's we should just give them the benefit of the doubt and um, just see what it would would sound like if you know they had the the capability to apologize. Hold on, I've got an appointment scheduled next week. Okay, hold on. We we got an email from John. John says he listens to How to Do Everything while collecting marmoset urine. John, these next 15 seconds are for you. You Celtic United I mean, a lot of some people collect stamps, philatelists, or coins, numismatists. Uh, it's, it's probably a smaller community of people who who collect monkey pee. I actually, I uh, have a. I used to collect baseball cards, and I have a a monkey pee rookie. You know, if you have a question for us, uh, be it about manatees or meatballs. Or maybe you're someone who's collecting some kind of strange animal effluvia. Whatever it is, you can send us your question at howto at npr.org. Or you can call our toll-free helpline. It's uh, 1-800-GAG-AXE-5. That's 1-800-GAG-AXE-5. I wish I knew what the numbers were. No one knows. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I I learned that uh, there's a lot more going on with meatballs than I thought. Yeah. I think maybe what we've learned is that every meatball tells a story. Ah, yeah. We don't often take the time to hear what meatballs have to say, individual meatballs. I think, for for me personally, I think the more I know about the meatball, the less I want to eat it. Yeah. Who was Paul? 
Yeah, do you think that was like a deathbed confession for the meatball? I need to tell you about Paul. I've never talked before, being a meatball. Where's your mouth? Don't ask. Let's yeah. not get Let's bogged focus down in on details. Paul. How to Do Everything is produced by Stephen Tobias with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Seth Kelly, who uh, also controls his buoyancy in an interesting way. He plays the horn. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. You can send us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org on the internet. .org. I'm Ian Chillog. And I'm Mike Danforth. This is NPR.